End of the Line, Episode 17, Celeste. Look at her. She's gorgeous. I couldn't be more proud. Oh, she turned back. <laughs> Have a great night, princess. And just like that, she's all grown up. But girl, you take care in those heels. There's only you and Billy Porter brave enough to rock that look. <laughs> My God, that dress. <laughs> that should come with a health warning. <laughs> May cause drowsiness, shortage of breath, a permanent damage to ribs, ass, and reproductive organs. <laughs> what the hell? You only get one chance to go to your first prom. I always wondered how I feel watching her go off like this. For years, it wasn't her, though. It was anybody. As long as I was in their life, that was all that mattered. Because it would mean that I mattered. When I grew up, I was obsessed with babies. We had a whole mess of cousins in the Midwest. And each summer, my brother and I we get shipped off to the farm for a few weeks. It was glorious. I got to babysit, playhouse, show them how to bake cookies. I teach them how to ride a pony, help them collect fresh eggs from the chicken coop, and then show them how to make an omelet. <laughs> Whether they wanted to learn or not. <laughs> it was nice. It felt normal. I felt normal. I felt like I was their mom. Except I wasn't. You want to be a mom? There are rules, protocols. You don't get to change the matrix. We ain't going to do no factory default reset on the rule book. You got to have the right equipment. I could do one half of the equation, but not the other half. The bigger half. The main event. I remember thinking that I could just do it. I could just walk up to mom and dad and tell them, just like that. I could do it in a single sentence and then be free to live my life. But I didn't. For a long time, I couldn't. I couldn't change their lives in a single sentence. How can I put them through that? They were church people. Mom did admin work at the convent school on our block. Dad was a lay minister. He couldn't have a son who was a daughter. Things were... People were different back then. Jeez, what am I saying? They still are. I think my brother knew before I did, or before I was sure, that this is what I wanted. I was 15. He was a couple of years older. He came into my room and, and sat on my bed for a few moments. The silence was deafening. Suddenly, the clock on the wall seemed to tick like thunder. The room was suffocating. Then he looked at me. I could.
couldn't breathe. Then it happened. He held my hand and said, Be happy. Be yourself. Then he left. I'd spent pretty much most of my childhood with a single sentence on my lips. A sentence I was never brave enough to say. And then he said it. He gave me the strength to be happy, to be myself. In that one moment, I saw the rest of my life open up ahead of me. That was when I knew. I knew I wanted to do that for other people. I wanted to give them the power of that one single sentence. I wanted to show them what their lives could be like, that you could break the rules, you could change the matrix. If I could do that for people like Erica and her ridiculous heels, I could help. I would matter. I call her my drag daughter. We met when she entered a competition I was judging. When you are six feet four, you're a little intimidating. But in heels, you look like a, like a goddess, like Jane Fonda and Barbarella. <laughs> oh, God. oh, listen to me. God, she must think I'm ancient. <laughs> when we met, I remember how she spoke about competition nights like these. She was so... So young. Nothing like I was at her age. She was a foster kid. She never had a stable home. She was in and out of trouble and had a pretty impressive record. But in a way, that helped her. It helped her realize who she was, who she wanted to be. And competition nights were her way of saying that single sentence. The sentence that would allow her to be happy. And since that day, she's been my whole life. She's not mine. I, uh, I get that. She's her own person. She doesn't belong to anyone except herself. Someone once asked her why she calls me mom. She said that it was because I love her without condition. That took me back to the farm, back to bacon cookies, back to washing chicken poop off eggs, back to my brother and the incredible gift he gave me. That's when I realized that I don't need the right equipment. I don't need to do the bigger half of the equation. In fact, I don't need to do either half at all. People talk. People have always talked. You get used to it. It's like you're allowed one thing but not two. I remember a, a girlfriend who was interested in photography. She missed class one night, and when they found she skipped the session because it clashed with her salsa practice, they went nuts. You're allowed a hobby, just don't have two. You could be born one way and now live another. But if you think we're buying you as a mother, then, girlfriend, you are crazy. 
You can be bisexual, just don't be bipolar too. Jeez, people get mad quickly. There was a song we listened to, Erica and me. She calls it our song. She's convinced it's about us. I listen to it a lot. Ask me what I did with my life. I spent it with you. If I lose my fame and fortune, really don't matter. As long as I got you, baby. Have a great night, princess. Go easy on those hills. <laughs> you say this is the end of the line. Didn't you know? Celeste was played by Kim Tatum. The episode was written and directed by Mark Haywood. Casting by Sydney Aldridge. Production support by Lynn McConway. Music by Daisy Tute and Kerry Ann from The Herd Collective. The episode was recorded at The Sound Company in London and edited by Pocket Blockbuster. The End of the Line is an Ink Jockey production. But this is nothing.